Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I always feel like a kid in here, like I'm just poking around to see what... Man, I really wanted to clean this place up before y'all came, because like, when this desk starts looking like this, it's like time to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what? I got I got something to say about this. Where there are no oxen, the stables are clean. That's right. But you and, need you and, need a big ox to have a great and, harvest. Yeah, you need a big one. Mm-hmm. You got to have and, 17 uh, hats I can tell to you, get your every, harvest. <laughs> every one of these. I, this is in here because I traveled to t- Tennessee. To meet a, a special undercover agent, Quote, and I had to take this right from the truck. This is in here because when I first started uh, using mules, like years ago, somebody told me Vicks Vapor Rub. If you put Vicks Vapor Rub in the nostrils of your mule, that you could put any type of wild game on their back because they couldn't smell it. Is that it true? Work? Turns out, it sure didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I still have the Vicks Vapor Rub. That wasn't it. So I had to take this out of the this drawer the other day because uh-huh. the drawer wouldn't shut because of it. So that's why that's there. That was a Vicks Vapor these, Rub salesman. These things told right you here, that. Are here. Yeah. I don't know why those are there. <laughs> Mules, you say? There goes our sponsorship yeah, it's, it's for like Vicks like a, Vapor Rub. It's like a bad pawn shop in here. Maybe a good pawn shop. A good pawn shop. Bad because it's like yeah. nothing's organized. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, you go into the pawn shops and you got to kind of rifle through things to yeah, see what they've yeah. got. That yeah, makes yeah. you feel like, like you're getting a deal. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, yeah, somebody's yeah. passed over this because they didn't want to go through it. It's a true. blind man's garage sale. Here's a and you and you pick up things and you're like, Taurus, what is 44 this? 44 Magnum Ooh. outside of the case. You know, like the glass case in the pawn shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just pick it up and exactly pilfer through it. I got to introduce some 
some international folks that are staying with us for a wedding what Bass Pro looks like. Mm. Their mind was blown. I bet. Really? Did you go there with them? Yeah, I took them there yesterday. They were also surprised that you carried a pocket knife. Yes. I and they two. assumed it was a weapon. And I was like, absolutely not. This is a tool. Just a tool. Yeah. I've got a, I got a good pocket knife story. Okay. When we were, at, y'all know I work at a school. And I got a call from a parent one time trying to see if they should arrange for us to... There's some pocket knife training there, there's going a, Yeah, on it's a little here. distracting. They th- To see if they needed to arrange for my son to meet their son off campus for a, a purchase of a pocket knife or if I was okay with it if they sold this pocket knife on campus. So two boys wanted to sell a pocket knife. One being my, our son. And I was like, well, hold on just a second. Let, I don't know much about this. Let me get the details. Bear Newcomb had, <laughs> had been taking oh. pieces of steel, metal, fingernail clippers, anything he could find. Oh, this is an old story. And Right. Yeah, he's young. I thought uh, this happened like this week. No, no, no. School's out. Gotcha. Uh, this was like a long time ago. And Bear was taking, like gathering up any spare like piece. saw blades and stuff. Or fingernail clippers. That was a pretty popular one. And he, what what did he have? He had a grinder. He had a he grinder. Had like a electric grinder that would, like a, like a wheel grinder. <laughs> he was like nine years old and making He had these, a little side hustle. The, yeah, yeah. These off-market he, he one day almost a little I actually, hustle. I had to talk to him about ethics inside of business ownership because I'm pretty sure he sold a pocket knife that he'd ground out of a Sawzall blade and wrapped paracord around the handle exactly. to some kid at school for like 20 bucks. That's I'm, what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm pretty sure that's... I that's a the, shiv. Yeah. <laughs> that came from a prison. Yeah. And so or he's going to a, a prison. I'm so, the principal of the school, so I have to write all these parents and say, yeah. hey. This is years ago. This is, yeah, this is years ago, and I had to write them all and say, hey, I'm really sorry about, there's apparently like an off-market yeah. deal going on. We weren't aware of it. We yeah. were aware that Bear was making knives. We thought it was a cute thing for him to do at the house. We are not encouraging enterprise at the school. We will refund you your money. How are these transactions happening? Oh, kids are bringing school. cash well, to school. Yeah, man. Here's COD, the way baby. I talked to him about it. Is is I said I said, man, I said, don't you think that's pretty high for the what you the amount of time you had making this and what you paid to get the raw materials? You know, you kind of got to take into consideration your customer too. Like he twenty bucks is pretty pretty high price, business. and he's like, dad. They, I mean, they're paying. They, they'll pay that for yeah. you. Supply and demand, exactly. baby. Yep. And I, I said, I said, man, I don't know I what said, to tell you. I'm out of stock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you don't yeah. pay for the amount of haircut <laughs> amount that that's cut off your head. You pay for the expertise of the man cutting the hair. Oh, mm, that's, that's right. Good point. So go. was it like, hey, meet me around back? And <laughs> no, it was. Don't tell my like mom. The play- no, unfortunately, Bear thought I'd be proud of him. And, yeah. and to be wasn't honest, devious. There was a little bit in me that was like, well, that's kind of entrepreneurial. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was yeah. a little proud. And I told Clay, I don't really know. Like, I clearly have a responsibility as a school administrator to not let there be the sale of weapons <laughs> on our property. It's not weapons. It's, it's tools. A tools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Bear Grease Render. Man, this is a, uh exciting one. We have, uh, I have with me, I have Josh Lambridge, filmmaker, to my left. Greetings. Wearing a nice Believer hat. Yeah. Looks good. Yep. Looks good. Uh, to his left, my wife, Misty Newcomb. Great nice to have to be you, Miss Newcomb. Always good to be here. To your left, Brent Reeves. You got here. a shout out on the podcast this week. Did you I hear did. that? I did. I, I, I liked that. It was yeah. good. And yeah. used accurately. Yeah, I thought it was. It really was. Very good. Uh, Brent's 
beard's a little trimmer than yeah, normal. It's a little close, close cropped. It's, it's, summer, summer, it's summertime. <laughs> I did it yesterday, and Bailey walks downstairs and said, Daddy, your glasses are bigger. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope, same glasses. Beard smaller. <laughs> I had this oh, revelation goodness. just a second ago about Brent Reeves. Mm. He has a way of making you feel like you're with him when you're just listening to him. I was thinking about seeing but, him today. But you are with him. Today. But I was like, <laughs> I had this feeling of like very familiar. You felt this yesterday. No, th- earlier today, anticipating seeing Brent. Okay. Wow. Thinking it didn't feel like it had been two months since I'd seen him. Mm. You know what I mean? What, what do you attribute this to? I don't know. Velvet Pipes. Oh, that's what the it is. Mm-hmm. I, you just, yeah. It brings Fairmont. you right into the moment. <laughs> I'm in season. <laughs> oh, no. I have to reevaluate probably, these feelings now. <laughs> you're probably going to have to take that so, out. Um, <laughs> to Brent's left. <laughs> Not far enough. Isaac Neal. Isaac, do we now we introduced you yep. back in February as the assistant producer yep. of Bear Grease. Now, we could... I think I have the authority to change your title. Okay. You could be assistant to the producer. Assistant (laughs) to the regional regional producer. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. Isaac Isaac has a lot of fingerprints all over the Bear Grease podcast. Um, Isaac does a whole lot, a whole lot for meat eater and for us. But uh, on this one in particular, and we'll, we'll go, I think we'll go into the origins of why how this came about that we decided to tell the story that we told over the last three episodes. Um, But Isaac was there right in the middle of it. And Isaac was actually the one who said, you could do it like this. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. To your left, Gary Newcomb. Gary, good to see you, man. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what Gary has to say about all this. (laughs) Um, Oh, my Lance. I look forward Um, to what he has to say about anything. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Hey, I want to, before we dive in too deep here, and I really want to just like straight up talk about the podcast. Yeah. So last time you guys got, weren't involved in the render because we were in Montana. Yeah. And so we didn't really talk about, you know, there were just three of us there. Bear was there. And so we didn't talk about episode two. So I want to get, I want to do like a, Full encompassing, mm-hmm. full encompassing conversation. Have one about episode two. We we had a really good episode uh, render about right. episode one where we right. where we we talked. Well, we can we can encompass that. Can we just say something about the render crew last time? Because yeah, I feel like we sure. always get to evaluate them. Sure, I'd like to evaluate Clay Newcomb's statements in that podcast. I learned that Clay sent our. Barely walking sun towards oh, a bear. Here we go. I'm 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 listening to the render, <laughs> oh, yeah. and it's Shep and I, I in the I car. Told you to take that out, Isaac. Yeah, no. <laughs> Just news to me. Your parenting tactics uh, always amaze me. Mm. I trust you. Mm-hmm. And then I and hear four things out of like five that. have made it. Yeah. <laughs> isn't isn't it a isn't it a proverb that says train it train a child up in the way he should go and then send him towards the bear? <laughs> yeah. It's something like that. It's a rite of passage. Really, what were you thinking though? I, I think about how he thought about it. How it much I trust Clay, bear. and I tell people all the time, like we don't have to worry. I trust Clay. If he says it's okay, it's okay. And then I hear that story, and I'm thinking, well, it ended up being okay. It, it was it was just a small bear, and not that, wise. But, a small but, innocuous bear. Yeah. yeah Think about this. Small bear. Here, here. Take comfort in this. 
That's the story that you know about. I know. Yeah. You should let that go. <laughs> let it go, Misty. Uh, well, where I was going to go, though, before we get into our big discussion, y'all see these books right here? This stack of books? Yesterday, Homework. a couple of days ago, I looked across all my bookshelves and was trying to it all started just when I, was, I I saw a book. I saw this book, Biophilia. Yeah, this book right here. And I was like, oh, man, I hadn't seen that book in a while. And it's got all kind of handwritten notes in it and stuff. And I was like, this book was really influential to me. And I was like, you know what? There was another book that was really influential. And I started looking for uh, Ian Tattersall's Becoming Human. And I was like, you know what? Another three books that were influential. Anyway, I started, I made a stack of what I think is the most Influential books to date. <clears throat> yes, Josh. Where's the Bible? I noticed that too. <laughs> I, that was going to be the thing I was going to say next, aside from the Bible. Here, okay, yeah. Would it make you feel better? It would, would it make you feel more comfortable if the had Bible, a Bible on top. stacked up put, there? Make sure the Bible's on yeah, top. Yep. Okay. Definitely make true sure story. the Bible's on top. Very true story. Books not written by, you know, that aren't the, the Bible. Spirit. Aren't divinely inspired. Okay. But all these books. So there's Wild Sports, there's Boone by Robert Morgan. There's My Father, Daniel Boone, which those two books together were really unique. And I, I just always thought that book written by uh, Nathan Boone was uh, about his father, the interview that he did, Nathan Boone did with his dad was really wild. Uh, there's a couple of non-history hunting books. This book, uh, Atomic Habits, have any of y'all ever read that? I've never heard of that. Yeah. It, this is like a pop culture, like New York Times bestselling self-help, quick self-help kind of book that I typically wouldn't read. But man, I think about this book all the time. Atomic Habits, man. It was really good. Mm -hmm. Tiny Changes, and, Remarkable yep. Results. And then Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold, which I read in college. Dr. David Miller, who was on the Bear Grease yeah. podcast one time, he had us read that. And little did I know that that book would be influential. And then uh, Boys Adrift, man. Golly, if you have, if you have boys... You ought to read that book. Yeah, it's a good Boys book. Adrift. That is a good and it book. talks about uh, five factors driving the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men. It's a really good book. Um, and then this book right here, The Count of Cabeza de Vaca. This, watch your mouth. These guys, watch your mouth. That was soap. Very <laughs> soap. The, so this is the account of the first Europeans that made it inland into North America. So uh, it was Cabeza de Vaca. And uh, I mean, he, they were the first guys that like went inland and he describes, it's been a while since I've read it, but uh, they describe the tribes that they encountered, Oh, nice. but they describe the topography and the land. And that's, this book is a document that tells current biographers of the, of, of the, just what this place looked like in terms of vegetation and stuff. And it's really interesting. What but, year would uh, that have been? You know Go what? I, I, I hadn't read this book in several <coughs> years. Um, well, the answer's still the same. I know. I'm just saying I, I, I've kind of <laughs> forgotten exactly. Cabeza de Vaca landed in Florida in 1528. Nice. Wow. Yeah. First guys. Pretty wild, man. I remember there was a story in here about a, a man getting killed crossing a river. Oh, I do remember. They came to this raging river. So they had this like regiment of men that they had animals with them and pigs with them. And like they had to carry everything they would need to survive. And they came to this raging river. And there was this young guy that was like, we can cross here. 
and everybody else was like, man, I don't think we can. And this dude jumped in the river with his horse and tried to cross this river and he, he drowned. He and his horse drowned and they went and found his body like a mile and a half downstream, buried the man and ate the horse. Wow. Oh, pretty serious. Wow. Um, Cabeza de Vaca means kind of a cow. Cow's head. So these two books by uh, Bear Grease hero and alumni Brooks Blevins, A History of the Ozarks, The Old Ozarks, Part One. Oh, yeah. Isaac's read it. So good. <clears throat> it's, it really is. It, it's so good. You ought, wherever you live, you ought to know about the history where you live. This one is really one of my favorites. Arkansas, Arkansas by Brooks Blevins. One spelled Arkansas. How Bear Kansas. Hunters, Hillbillies, and Good Old Boys Defined a State. Really incredible book. It's a book. good book. Yep. And then uh, we're almost done. And then uh, Wild Sports by Frederick Gerstocker. Mm, that was a good one. And then one. Against the Grain, Richard Manning. This book is uh, kind of controversial, but guess what? So is the Bear Grease Podcast. <laughs> the Outlaw Podcast. <laughs> Which brings us to our <laughs> current topic. You forgot two really important books. Oh, yeah. This one, Dad took off. Meat Eater uh, by Steve Rinella. I read this years ago, long before I would have known Steve. This was in my list. And it was just, it's just a kind of a memoir. It's just like stories from his past. And uh, I remember re- really being impacted by this book and just kind of the the musings inside of it. Yeah. And then the last book that was in the stack was uh, this book called The Life of Elijah by A.W. Pink. Yeah. So Elijah's a, a guy in the, in the Bible. Wild guy, man. I, I loved Elijah because he was, uh, he was from... He was from a region. Mina. Basically, he was like a hillbilly in the Middle East, for real. Like they, they were, they, they, the, there's very little known about where he came from, except that the place he came from was like a wild, rural, rugged place. And he, and, and the indication is that like he was like that, you know? The, That's an old the, book, the, too. The people of yeah. the hills reflected the nature of their environment. They were rough and rugged, solemn and stern, dwelling in rude villages, subsisting by keeping flocks of sheep, hardened by an open-air life, dressed in a cloak of camel's hair, accustomed to spending most of his time in solitude, possessed of a sinewy strength which enabled him to endure great physical strain. Elijah would present a marked contrast with the town dwellers in the lowland valleys, and especially he would be distinguished from the pampered courtiers of the palace because he interacted with the kings. So old Elijah, A.W. Pink. I don't really know where to start other than to say yeah. this series has been the f- most enjoyable of any podcast series I've ever built. And it's been because I I have always been had a deep sense of place inside of my life. Like I like being from somewhere that we've kind of just been from there a long time and so the fact that this is these were not stories that i was reading about in a book even though i wasn't there and i and i didn't know these men well i mean on a personal level i did not know these men well i was just a kid growing up while these guys were kind of in their prime and uh, i i mean i probably haven't seen these men since i was 18 years old or something, mm. you know, so it's not like I was close to these guys, but it kind of felt like, and, 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 and what, and I think, and I've attributed this to dad to so many times, but when dad 
would, so dad was a banker and I remember he used to take us all over to see customers that had killed a big deer or for whatever reason, we, I remember multiple times going to people's houses way out in the country and it was just, I mean, you probably wouldn't have known that that was impacting and I probably didn't know it was impacting until later in my life, but you know, you were kind of on, you, you enjoyed these rural people and these stories. And then you told me stories about Charlie and Louie Dale. And, and we, we, you did take me to a bow shoot out at their house when they had a catfish fry and a bow shoot. And a mule ride one time. Now, that was when you were an adult, though. Right. Not, not with Louie Dale. Not with Louie Dale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it just, so I enjoyed going back to where I'm from and mm-hmm. mining out these stories with these guys. So, <laughs> no, I, and, and I'm very interested. And, in, like, I thought it was great last time when Brent was like, no, I'm not endeared to these guys. Um, th- that's not. why I have you here. I, I, I don't have you still here not? to. No. I don't have you here to, you know, tell me something I want to hear. Um, but I think it would be good to have a discussion about the different components of it. Because I think sometimes it's easy to hear one. Th- well, I don't think this. I know this. And I'm not saying that's the case here. But a lot of times inside of a robust story, you, people get, you can get hung up on one thing and you hear that throughout the whole thing when maybe that's not even exactly what you're even talking about. Do you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. And inside of this series, I tried to make a distinction between two different things. We use the words differently, but poachers and then this outlaw archetype, you know, so there's a, there's a difference. Like Mm -hmm. I I don't, I'm not endeared to poaching at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's, that's not what this is about. It was more about why an endearment to an outlaw archetype, which in my opinion is an undeniable thing that's inside of our culture. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person responds to that the same way. So I just want to, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's like not everybody's, yeah, there might be something inside of someone that really responds to that and maybe less than something else, but pretty much undeniable that in our culture that that is something that's happening. How do we start this? I I I sent a message to Clay and said, Part three was fire, fire, fire with a side of fire, fire, fire. Right on. Man, that, it's like I felt like I was watching the CSI on yeah. on uh, on podcast. But what a fascinating, yeah. fascinating, fascinating story. It, it it always amazes me that that these kind of stories happen and nobody really knows about it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, who would have ever known about Louis Dale and Charlie Edwards yeah. and the – game and fish sting operation that was going on with them. I, I love that someone reached out to you and said, listen, I got a little insider information for yeah. you. Yeah. That that was uh that was pretty cool. But just to listen to him talk about his interactions with Louisdale, I mean it, it was it was clear that that uh I I love the relational aspect of Louisdale. I mean even even with someone like that, he he legitimately just Wanted to help this guy. You, you, you know, there's a side of, I, I've met guys like Louis Dale, and there's a side of them that wants that they want to take you under their wing. Yeah. And at the same, I, I knew a guy in the construction business that 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 
kind of took me under his wing when I, when I had a construction company and, uh, I knew I didn't want to necessarily be like him, but I appreciated what he had yeah. to offer me. And I think there's a lot of people that that's part of the thing that they appreciated about Louisdale is his, his care and consideration and his, his taking people under his wing. I mean, he was, he was a, he was a, in essence of provider for the, for a, a lot of people in some way or another. But I thought, I thought this last part of the podcast was really, really fascinating to hear, um, I forgot what's the gentleman's name, Russ Arthur. Russ, mm-hmm. yeah, Russ, um, talk about his interactions with them, and and also the the game and fish's desire to just really they really wanted to catch them red handed with something and just couldn't seem to yeah to do it. Uh, clearly, something was going on there that that they were kind of protected somehow from yeah. from that ever happening. Well, it was to me it was so interesting talking to Russ because. There was actually another story that was told about a totally different story of them and an undercover guy that Louisdale took. And it, we know there was multiple stings, and so I only talked to one guy. So this, this you know, happened according to the family. Louisdale took a guy and he called up a gobbler for the guy before season, and the guy wouldn't shoot it. And, uh, you know, he made, in Louisdale's mind, made an excuse why he wouldn't shoot it. And that all of a sudden was a red flag that this guy, mm-hmm. you know, all the different circumstances that surrounded it. And Louisdale came out of that one confident that he had entertained an undercover officer. And uh, and then in this situation with Russ, you know, clearly he was tipped off by someone on the inside about it, which was was reason to believe, but he also came out of it apparently extremely confident that Russ was a undercover agent because he, he told that to Andy just so strongly, just like, yeah, for sure. This guy was an undercover agent. And the way that I thought about it is you only get so many strikes at somebody. I mean, it's just like, do they just keep sending a guy from another state? I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Were you taking me turkey hunting yeah. in March? <laughs> Where's your gun? <laughs> you only get so many strikes at these guys, and pretty soon you just run out of options. And what Russ said, though, was so valuable, I felt like, when he said, how hard is it to 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 not be able to catch a... A, a guy that's got so much land and got and wardens with so many limitations. And basically he said off air, he said guys like that are almost impossible to catch. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, he just said, he just straight up said, you just almost can't catch these guys. And so you get a couple of, couple of shots. You know, the thing that, that hit me and I'm a little hesitant to say it because I really respect this Russ and I really feel like he's probably, top echelon. I mean, Mm -hmm. you couldn't have gotten a better guy. So I'm not taking away from his professionalism, but undercover on a turkey sting, you're probably okay. But undercover in another situation, you get killed. So if you contact me and go, you want to go undercover, I'm going to go, who knows about this? You know, if I go, you and I are the only two that know about it. Right. Your wife doesn't know about it. My wife doesn't know about it. So 
probably because it was a turkey operation. It was handled a little too loosely, I would say, because well, see, that should have never gotten out. See, I, I have a feeling that that's just the structure. Of, because, see, they, they would have to let the Game and Fish know. They would have to let yeah. other people in enforcement know. I was thinking about it, because what happens if Russ Arthur is out with Louisdale and gets stopped by the game warden? Or if, if the, the the other, warden, one other person he knows something happens to him and he dies, and Russ Arthur's out there doing illegal stuff, and no one knows but him and this other person. You know, the, like say a person has a heart attack. Who died? The, say the other person he knows has a heart attack. Like if it's you and one other person that knows. And oh, that person oh. has a heart attack. This could be a movie. But it is a movie. I mean, it's there's a couple different... Like where yeah. it's an undercover sting. They're trying to keep it tight. Yes. Two and people know one guy dies, so the other guy is out in, there doing illegal criminal stuff. activity. Yes, and no one knows it's sanctioned. Oh, you didn't think this through, Gary. Well, <laughs> you, you understand what she just said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It, well, hey, hey. You'd be stuck you, you for know, life. I don't buy any of that. I mean, you know. I can tell I you can, what happened. Uh, yeah, here's our man. That's who what yeah. I wanted to hear. You go to jail because that's what I did. <laughs> When you're out with the folks and you're you're playing the game, you and I'm using air quotes for game because it's not a game. Yeah, you're literally putting your life on the line for your paycheck. And what happens when you go? In my case, it was to tell uh, us what you did. Yeah, yeah, because people wouldn't know. Is he allowed to do that? Well, I, I can tell this has all been adjudicated. And it I've was, been real nervous about all the people involved in this podcast. A long, <laughs> long time ago, but I was in a in a place in South Arkansas in a bar. We were in there buying drugs, and the local police didn't You were an undercover agent. Yep. You weren't, you weren't just buying drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I can even tell you my name. My name was James J. David Miller. I've got an Arkansas driver's license at home mm. that has its own number. And, and had a whole backstory. So Brett's been in law enforcement his whole life. We, we're in this place that's known to be selling drugs, and that's, that's why I was in there. Me and another agent were in there. And we were working, and then the local police comes in, and they, they, running folks out left and right, and people are getting arrested, and hey, we fell right in there with the rest of them. Mm. So, and you don't tell anybody, hey, you don't arrest me. You know, I'm really, I'm really a policeman. No, you, you don't do that. You just go with the flow. Now, yeah. This is too and totally sorted out when you get to jail. Yeah, when it's all over with. Yeah, because they're not going to get the right guy anyway. So, but that that's that's what happens. That's what you do. And yeah. that's that's exactly what Russ would have done. Yeah, the local game warden, unless he walked up, you know, and recognized him, like Russ, what are you doing here? Why are you hunting with Louisville? Don't you know this guy's an outlaw? <laughs> you know it would, but but that's that happening to him. Somebody knowing and and talking when they shouldn't have talked is the very thing that the reason why nobody knew that we were working in that in that bar is because loose lips sink ships that's yeah that's the old saying you know during world war ii so you, you I, and i'm not saying i disagreed with him i'm just no. saying okay. so you it, it obviously well even russ said it he said the structure of the forest service came back to bite him yeah that's what he said and and he actually went into a lot of detail with me about the structure of the forest service today how it's much different like basically back then there was a lot of room for I, I, he he went into a lot of detail that was right. was uh basically he was like 
Most of that stuff today. these days is now all self-contained. It's kind of yes. operates autonomously. You yeah. Know, without it's all on a need to know basis, and that that's the way that we we did it that's, uh, in the drug culture and the drug enforcement was we would talk normally the prosecutor in a district would be the only person that knew that we were in there working and it would usually be at the bequest of them that we were there anyway hmm. did well, russ say that only four or five people knew though didn't he say that on the podcast well i, I don't remember how many he said knew he said very few people. yeah like yeah, a handful is the way i took it and yeah. he may have said that but yeah. it wasn't very many yeah what do you think of the 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 sting operation part? I mean, oh. not not dissecting how they did, but just I, was it? He caught him. Yeah, he caught him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, had it not been for the person that gave him the warning, I think they would have got him even more so. So I mean, he he was caught. Yeah, and and his to his point about. Uh, evading, you know, most counties in Arkansas have two wildlife officers. Some of them, even back then, only had one. And some counties back then didn't have any. So you had one wildlife officer spread thin, you know, mm -hmm. between two counties. And he's got, uh, you know, the Edwards guys, they had to look out for Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin had to look out for everybody. Right. So it's a lot easier for them to do what they did. And, um, because that, not because he didn't catch him, didn't make him not a, a good game warden. One of the, I, I think a really interesting thing to that point is the idea that uh, <clears throat> their their community connections were not uh, happenstance part of this. But it seems like if you keep running back to it, it's like it's not that nobody knew; it's that they're they're standing in the community and people's fondness for them mm. kept yeah. protecting them. Sure. If you think about like there are plenty of poachers who get caught all the time. And they're usually pretty. There's they're scoundrels, you know. Mm -hmm. They're they're not they're not upstanding citizens or whatever in these other aspects of our, of their lives. But the reason this is so unique is probably the reason that it's so unique. I cannot argue with that. Uh, you know what I mean? Sure. Like it's 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 not it's not that they were great uh, at evading the law in a in in a vacuum. It's that mm -hmm. these these facets of their life work together to continually pull them out of the fire yeah and i you know and i when i was thinking about it this last podcast i was thinking that all the you know they if they would have went out and killed three turkeys or whatever the limit was back then and those other 20 30 or 40 or however many it's supposed to be if they would have took that many kids out and let them kill their first turkey how much we wouldn't be having this podcast today we'd be talking about some criminal these right. guys would be beyond a pedestal, beyond anything we could see. Because that that would have that would have endeared me to them. Sure, for sure, sure. So that 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 was my only my biggest takeaway. And like, and I want to reiterate, I'm not saying these guys are bad people. Uh, there's sure. they can't. If Gary Newcomb thinks of them, then I've got to, because I respect him that much. You not so much, but Gary, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying they. There was a lot of uh, what's the what's the old saying? One one mess up will take away a whole bunch of attaboys, and that just I couldn't be endeared to it. Yeah, sure. So 
that was just my take on it. When, when I listened to that render after the first episode, I wondered if your experience in law enforcement and some of the conversations we had had helped to inform your understanding of that dog story. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's just, I can, to me, that was a no-brainer. There's yeah. there's no way. I love that coon dog at my house. Sure. My wife would give one of her kidneys and yeah. both of mine for it. Yeah. And I love that dog, but there's yeah. no way I would put that dog in front of your light or somebody I don't even know. Well, so like in, in my brain, I hear that anecdote and I go, that's a funny anecdote, but I've never been on the receiving, like in a legitimate position where like, am I going to get killed right now? Yeah. Like, does this guy really mean that he'll shoot me if I shoot his dog? You can and only that, take somebody at your word. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to that. Yep. So, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's really a. To me, it's black and white. Yeah, that's it's not right. Yeah, that's wrong. That's the wrong way to look at it. And and I will go so far as to, <clears throat> I don't want to upset anyone in the room or anybody that's been on this podcast before. But those guys were only successful doing that because people didn't talk about it, yeah, or they wouldn't right. talk about it. Yeah, and if they had, you know, the way I look at it and the way the law looks at it, if you if you witness something witness them do something wrong and you don't talk about it and you don't report it well then you're just as culpable as they are yeah in some form you know i just think it was it, it going back to the reason why we did this because it, it certainly would be maybe unusual inside the outdoor space to talk about outlaws poachers and put any kind of positive light on them and i'll tell you the reason i did it is because the real world of my like i wanted to explore this thing that i experienced which was wait a minute we like these guys but Mm -hmm. they're notorious turkey outlaws and then to hear russ say that this is very common and man hey i'll foreshadow we're probably going to have Russ back on because he's got some stories, man. <laughs> and, uh, and he, did y'all think it was wild? What the, the list of things he pulled out of the air about the type of people that these would be. He, he intentionally, oh, yeah. he told me, he said, Clay, I did not listen to these podcasts before. He said, I didn't want to be fed any kind of narrative about who these guys were and so i mean these would have been one of you know i don't know if hundreds probably not hundreds but of undercover operations so like it's not like these guys even would have stood out much to him probably inside of his career they would just been some guys that he worked you know so it's not like he knew them he was just involved in their life for about a month and then for him to say what he said and then at the end him saying like this is a southern phenomena which and you know there's only so much you can do in a 20 minute conversation like i talked to russ arthur for two hours solid non-stop action-packed two hours y'all heard 22 minutes of it and what he said was that this thing is a phenomena of the southern united states so and it's it, not, not that happening. not that there aren't po- there's poachers everywhere. Uh-huh. So it's not to say that poaching only happens here, right? But this these deeply entrenched families, and they uh, they have a lot of 
similarities to the situation we're talking about. People that live in way back in the in some area, they usually have a very tight geographic area that they're working. They've been there for a long time. A lot of community support. Um, and and it, I just thought that was so interesting because I was a part of that. Like I was in that community. And so it's like, I want to talk about this. I think it's interesting that you're saying that as well as if if you combine that with what Daniel talked about inside of inside of that, because if you look at the South, the South has a long history of being the inferior to the North mm-hmm. inside as as a function of its identity. Um, if you look at in even as early as like the 1700s, early 1800s, you'll see that all of the people, the writers, the intellectuals of the day, the influencers of that day would talk about the South as like the other. And they even had other names for the South. And this is pre-Civil War. This is mm-hmm. this was like a, a beginning. So there was a sense of inferiority. And I think that that kind of connects a little bit to what Daniel was talking about with the outlaw. And even like you you played a clip of The Godfather. And there's this... <laughs> there's a, <laughs> you like that, Brent? That was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a sense of we have to pursue justice on our own because we are on the outs of yeah. society. In the instance of The Godfather, you're talking about a family that would be newly migrated to this nation. In the instance of the South, you're talking about people who are s- separated for all sorts of reasons and perceive themselves as inferior. And if that's a Southern phenomenon, that... that is interesting to me how it goes along with the 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 theoretical belief that your outlaws exist when people don't trust the the authority structures in place and a lot of times you don't trust because you feel on the outskirts of yeah so the genesis of like figuring out how to tell this story came on a road trip right Mm -hmm. and you were just sort of talking about this story that you wanted to tell i was talking on the phone with my buddy Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he was tell he for whatever reason that Louisdale came up. Yeah. Like just naturally on the phone. Yeah. And then you told me a little bit about the story and we're saying like, man, I want to tell this story, but how do we get there? And yeah. we just started kicking around ideas. And I, th- I I was really enamored by the nuance of the story. The idea that like we we have these people in our lives. I can think of somebody in a totally different sphere, uh, but like really endeared to them. They're really good to us or whatever. And also have this part of their being that you don't like. And so like in the like, um, popular zeitgeist today, uh, not just with people, but all things, we want to distill it down to a binary operation, good or bad, black or white. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to take a look at it from a perspective of like, I just just basically like a peek behind the curtain. I really like these guys and I really don't like this thing. What's that about? Yeah. Right? And I think like the the aspect of their personalities, that outlaw aspect that you like is really interesting and nuanced because in this case, it manifests in a way that is abhorrent, which is poaching. Like yeah. uh, my my dad brought up, I was talking to him about the podcast and he brought up the irony of doing a, a podcast series about turkeys and how they're all disappearing and how your kids aren't going to get latched on because the turkeys aren't here. And then following it up with like this podcast about guys who are killing too many turkeys. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but in this case, the outlaw predilection, uh, manifests in a very negative way, but, um, talking about Brooks Blevins and the 
History of the Ozarks, I'm reading the third installment of that now. And one of the things that he touches on is the U.S. Forest Service erecting watchtowers for wildfires, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the main reasons that they did that was to prevent locals from doing controlled burns on their lands. And people continue to do it even after they outlawed it. So they erected these things to watch for it and basically narc on their neighbors. Well, history has looked back on that and said controlled burns are really good and they actually help prevent forest fires. And so that outlaw manifestation was right. And so like, what do you do with this thing that like is endearing, but like sometimes it has really negative and bad consequences. And sometimes in the course of time, it's proven to be correct. You know? Yeah. What do you do with that? That's an interesting tension that you just have to kind of sit with. And that's kind of what we were getting at with the conversation with Daniel Roop. Yeah. Is that the, the archetype of the outlaw is very valuable. Yeah. And there's artifacts of it inside of all of our lives. Like, you know, we were joking about our neighbor down here being a, a tomato plant outlaw because <laughs> he, he does, he does stuff a little different than other people. Yeah. And so it's like, and, and, and it's like, yeah, he's, he's the, he's the bad guy. He's yeah. doing it different. He's yeah. like pioneering a new way to do it. Yeah. It's like, that is a, that is a Western culture thing yeah. where we hat tip to the guy that's yeah. outside the system. The nonconformist. calls the system out. Yeah. And so the fact that, and again, if Louisdale and Charlie had just been poachers, I wouldn't be that interested in them. Sure. It wasn't, it's that, it's that they were outlaws. Like that, that was the idea that they had. They, they showed that in the way that they just like everything that they did. Like they, and, 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 I think, and it's a nuanced thing because like you said, like so much of what they did, like I don't condone fighting. I don't yeah. condone making illegal moonshot. I don't condone all this stuff. It's I think just it's, interesting. It's not just that they're outlaws though, right? It's the enigma of like, everybody has so many good things. They paid off the farm. They helped with my medical bills. They whatever. And they're outlaws, right? Yeah, just a straight up outlaw. You know, you can think of instances of people in the Wild West where a guy just goes from town to town murdering people. That's I don't find that endearing. Did, but like the guy who sees injustice and is willing to trespass the the bounds of the law in order to bring that into alignment is fascinating. The guy who's sort of doing good. It's in the context of like poaching that you go. So so are you saying poaching's okay? Is that yeah? Were they doing the right thing there? Negative. It's, Right. Yeah, yeah, they were not doing the right thing. But well, that- and I think that's the whole thing that you said in a, our initial conversation in the truck is that it's like su- it would be super nuanced. Yeah. So like, yeah, you, you could go, oh, they made a podcast and they're soft on poaching. If you say that, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. Like, go yeah. ahead. I, I, you just didn't listen. Yeah. You didn't you, go listen to someone else's podcast. Um, it, it's it's. It's it's nuanced and it's deep. Yeah, and it's it. And this is uh, this is what I was gonna say a minute ago. There's something inside of it about personal relationship with someone. Because I promise you, if this was a story about some guys from Alabama that I didn't know, I wasn't connected to that community. I didn't. I would probably just be like, "What a bunch of thugs." Well, I can I can tell you from firsthand. I didn't know these guys. So when you talk, I'm like, "Man, I like these guys." And then when Brent talks, I'm like. Man, I don't know about these guys. <laughs> yeah, I, like I don't have anything personally invested. But, but there's something about, yeah. and, and and again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not what I said on the podcast that it probably makes me a hypocrite. So like, 
on the record. Like I realize, but there is something about knowing someone that makes you more compassionate. And Russ said it, you know, Russ actually scripted out real well. He said, if you know these people in your community that are generous and compelling people and you like them, like you don't want to get them in trouble. Yeah. And these tight knit communities function off of personal relationships. I mean, before we made this podcast, I didn't think I could get people to talk. I went to my dad and another friend and I said, would y'all talk about Charlie and Louisville? And basically, I mean, without the family's permission, I don't think dad would even open his mouth about any of this. Like, but it's like, I was like, no, they're okay with this. They said we could do this. They like this. That's the only way that like, I had people that I interviewed calling the family to make sure that I was telling them the truth. <laughs> you know, just like, like, that personal relationship is super meaningful, and it's just interesting how how that that personal connection could make you see something not different. Because again, we're not talking about whether poaching's right or wrong. We're just talking about these guys. It really it really shows the effect of being that being cared <clears throat> for produces in someone. Because I think a large portion of the community there. Felt cared for by Louis like Del Don and Corleone, like Don Corleone. <laughs> Some more fiction, and, and because of that, I mean, think about it in your marriage. If you love your wife, you're going to overlook things. You know, you're going to right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we you're, go. You're going to overlook things because you love her and you care, and and you see the side of her that makes that other thing a moot point. And so, I think in in people's minds, they felt very cared for, and that is just a natural response. To that, to that expression, to them. Well, yeah. also the community was not reporting these guys for killing too many turkeys. I don't. I would be willing to bet all the people that wouldn't snitch on them for that. If they drove by their house and they were beating a youngin out there with a stick, they'd have called somebody. Right. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. 
And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. What do you think, Dad? Well, it's, it's really too complicated for me. I like... Uh, Russ's ability to mouth call was what I was <laughs> That was a dang good that I mean, thrill you know, he I had tell on you the what, end of the The rest of this stuff to me, you know, you, 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 can, you can tell what you think. You can study this. We don't really know why we like certain things, but we like entertainment. I like Michael Jordan. He's different. He's, he's special. He's worked hard. He's now Jesse he's James. Old. You know, I mean, I, I like to hear the story. It's entertaining. Yeah. Charlie and Louie, they'll be nice guys, man. Our whole community's made up of nice guys, but they were a little different. And uh, you can go anywhere you want and pick one guy out of the community, and you probably could make an interesting podcast out of it. You know, you look at to, history. We need to do that. We need to just pick a guy. <laughs> yeah. You probably could. You podcast know. roulette. You look through history and Kit Carson and – you know, Daniel Boone and, you know, these guys made a name for themselves, but there was probably a thousand other guys that, that were really vital to what happened. And, the, you know, but you didn't have somebody, you know, so I don't know. There may have been somebody else down there mean a smashing turkeys more than they were, oh. but, they, but they just didn't talk well, about well, it. <laughs> Jimmy Martin's, when I said were Louis Dell and Charlie, like the most notorious guys you ever caught, and he just said, or chased, and he said, Oh, not really. <laughs> I mean, like they—they they weren't. They—they were—they were—they were guys. America's and like Russ, ten. Russ was just America's most wanted. He was just like, oh yeah, dime a dozen guys like this. I mean, he really said that. You know, I didn't like them because they were turkey poachers. It had nothing to do with me liking those guys. I'm telling right. you, I might be different. It had nothing to do with it. It—it it was intriguing. You know, like if if you walked in the bank. And you were involved in some criminal activity that everybody in Mina knew about, like the Mina connection deal. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Re- I mean, you just wanted to sit down and talk to him. Hey, what happened? You know, I mean, it's just intriguing. But these were just good people that we liked. And every now and then it would come up that they were turkey poachers, you know? And you go, well, they're good turkey hunters. Every spring. <laughs> you know, I mean, you didn't think of it as turkey poaching. They were good hunters. And, yeah. and you know, I don't know. It, it's... You know, maybe I'm a little too close to it, but um, I just think about people. I, I like heroes, man. I, I like Sergeant York. 
You know, you uh, I enjoy Bonnie and Clyde. I've watched that movie so many times. Yeah. Uh, Jesse James. I mean, I just like the tough guys. I like to hear stories that happened at the bars in Oklahoma where. Did you like those stories? I, I, yeah. I did. And I yeah. think. Yeah. I mean, a buddy of mine walked in one day, pulls his shirt up. I might have told these guys about it. Pulled his shirt up. I say a buddy is acquaintance. How close were you? To <laughs> and he got. He, he said, look here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven bullet holes in his chest. I mean, I like this guy, but because of the bullet holes and the stories that he had, I mean, you know, it's pretty cool. It's just know, entertaining. Just entertaining. And hey, of of all the things, like I am never going to tell much of a story on a on this podcast that isn't entertaining. Like that's part of this thing. Like don't, people don't listen to the Bear Grease podcast because <laughs> their mama makes them. You know, like. It, it, You're not going to do a three-part series of boring stories? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Hey, you know, another thing about these Scratch guys, it off if, the list. If, if they had not been chased by the law so hard, you know, they would have just been – There's, I, I can name two or three other guys in that community that killed a lots of turkeys. That's kind of what's interesting to me is in all these stories, it's like, wow, this is a, a lot of resources – they kind of drew well, attention it's, it's to it. It's because they drew attention to themselves. Yeah, I, I, feel I like. think so, probably. Just flouting convention, flouting the, the law, showing up in front of the check station with your three birds unchecked. Yeah. That type of thing. Well, and, and, and you can't take them... out the human component of it, of like Jimmy Martin saying his supervisor wanted to catch these guys. Yeah. yeah they're, 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 I mean, humans make decisions. It's not like just the government has... You know, drones out that, are, oh, they killed 36 turkeys. They will now have an undercover operation. No, I was yeah. like, somebody heard that. I was like, these guys are, you know, they deserve this. Where well, somebody there's other guys like in the community that maybe weren't throwing around as much, probably killing as many. There's some, Somebody didn't like it. Yeah. Or they would have never known about it. Yeah. Because they wasn't talking that way in front of Jimmy Martin. So somebody in the community thought what they were doing was no bueno enough that they talked to yeah. somebody about it. Yeah. It kind of makes them an underdog when they say, I'll give anyone a steak dinner who gets these people. Like it, it, you know, we love. Makes you almost root for them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. In some a sort of, the, of terrible way. Because America also loves yeah. an underdog. I yeah. mean, or at least our, our. And I don't think that would have been stuff that was known. You don't think so? No. I don't think Oh, it. no, but I mean like. Now, listening to the story, it is a it is another mm-hmm. thing that endears them. Like, all right, you got the whole force of the law breathing down your neck. Can you yeah. do it? Can you pull it out? You know? Yeah. yeah. It's like that when you watch movies about these guys and and you find yourself just in your heart, not about Louis Dale and Charlie, but about outlaws, rooting for them. Like when there's, it's time, you know, the law gets close to them and you're kind of wanting them to. Yeah. It, Brent doesn't. Brent doesn't. Never. Gary does. You kind of want them to get away. You want them to, you're, and, and of course it's the directing, it's the producing, it's all that, but it's. Bonnie and Clyde, they were murderers and robbers. I ain't seen a movie yet where I was cheering for them to win. Not one of them. I'm hey, always like, go police. Amen. And you know what? I didn't shoot. Uh, I've said this before in this podcast. I, I did not cheer for these guys. Right. I, yeah. You know, if I, I don't know. You know, when you turn them in, it's not going to do any good. You Everybody know, I, already knew. Yeah, it wasn't I an mean, issue. you know, how are you going to catch? You know, you you got to catch them. 
So t- calling the game and fishing, going, hey, man, these guys killed a couple of illegal birds. Well, forget it. You ain't going to catch them on a deal like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, they were just good. They were just good guys that I think most people enjoyed being around. And um, they loved the notoriety, though, I think. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what Russ called ego, Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was good that he did. I mean, just if we're being fair, I mean, you know, and when I went to the family, I told them, I said, I'm going to tell both sides of this story. So, I mean, we, we, gave, we gave them a lot of room to, to tell the good parts of their story. And then I, I really liked it that Russ just came in and said, yeah, these guys had a lot of ego, it, which his definition of ego was exactly what they all said Louisdale did which was he wanted to be the guy that couldn't be caught. You know, it was a game to them. That equals ego, you know. We all like to be good at something, known for something. Uh, you know, fly fisherman, great teacher, you know. All of us have something that we're a little better at than other people. Isaac tattoos, leg tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's trying to see Brent out of his overalls. When Eric walked into a building yeah. or a room, you know, they had, to, you know, yeah, I'm Louisville. You know, I'm I'm good. I'm the best hunter in the county. I mean, it was, it was something to be proud of, except it was illegal <laughs> what he was doing. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, I mean, so much of what all of us do is motivated by ego. Like, so much yeah. of what I do is motivated by ego. And on my best days, I recognize that and try not to be motivated by that. Did you think about that when you got that cow face drawn on there? You got to talk to John the Revelator about that. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, like we, we like to be liked. We like to be known. We like to be like, and, and if that is our sole motivator, it can trend towards negativity. Uh, but if we recognize it and sort of react to it and say like, Hey, maybe that's not totally healthy. Like that's when we're, we're thriving as humans. Yeah. So like when he said that, I was like, it, it didn't feel like an insult to me. It felt like, yep, I can identify with that. I can identify with sort of getting caught up in, uh, when, <laughs> when we, when we get to drinking our own medicine or whatever, it, it sends us maybe down an, a less healthy path. Mm-hmm. Correct. I still go back to just the idea of you had to know in their mind they felt these this sense of restrictions being put on them by game laws, and I think they had to they had to justify things in their mind. I, I, you know, I think about like Bonnie and Clyde. There's no justifying just murdering people, right. but when it comes to like game laws and that kind of thing, and I I guarantee that. If you had confronted them on on violent tendencies, they'd probably say, "Well, I ain't never done anything to anybody that they did didn't do to me." But when it came to poaching, I'm sure they in their mind they thought, "Well, I'm not hurting anybody, yeah, and I'm actually helping people." And we're eating. You know, it. Russ yeah. had a whole a big part of what he talked about, and we may talk about this more at some point. But just about the the damage that's done by recreational poaching. And, and in his mind, it all goes back to opportunity lost to other people, which is like entirely true. Yeah, like just what like Brent was saying a minute ago. And, uh, and so it's easy to say, you know, well, nobody's getting hurt from this or that. But, but if you, if you have, if you have a bigger picture in mind, you know, I mean, it's like incredibly, it is incredibly detrimental taking away. And now in a time of great surplus, it's different. It does feel different. I mean, like in a time. It's hard of, to tell the difference. 
what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, but uh, and, and what I'm saying is surplus of wildlife. Mm-hmm. You know, so like in a time, and and I thought it was interesting. And I thought it tied back into the other turkey podcast that most of this went down during a massive blow up of turkeys in this part of the world. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, that coincided. It, it, it's kind of interesting when you think about it because we talked about Will Primos who built his business, and I and we made the connection that his the, the, the Primos blowing up like it did corresponded with wild turkeys blowing up. Yep. And, uh, and so this was the same thing. I mean, they were kind of riding a wave, and they weren't the only ones doing it. I mean, they were – you know, I told you, I talked to uh, a guy, meat eater, that knew some people in – in uh, another state, yeah, uh, Missouri. I, last time I was afraid to say Missouri. I don't know why, um, or I, I didn't want to disclose too much. But yeah, I, was I don't in know Missouri. if anybody's done anything wrong in Missouri. Missouri is <laughs> perfect, clean slate. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, All the outlaws, but guys that were killing turkeys for every year of their how old they were, and killed turkeys up until they were forty. You know, kill, that, they try to kill as many turkeys in a year as their age, and like that. You just couldn't do that today. I mean, just, there's not it has that to many be a turkeys. full-time job. Well, but then how detrimental that yeah. that would be, but it corresponded with this surplus of animals, you know. Um, but, uh, no, I think deep down, it, 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 the, the story, it was just a, it was a good story. And, you know what, I, w- we've got to believe that we don't have to believe this. I'm not saying this is something you choose to believe or not. This is just the architecture of human life is that we, we learn about the present by connecting to stuff from the past. As a matter of fact, in uh, this book, uh, Biophilia, the author Edward, Edward O. Wilson, E.O. Wilson, is talking about, he's trying to, he's talking about humans' ability to, of, of memory, historical memory is unprecedented in the animal kingdom. And that's what is something that distinctly makes us human is our ability to remember back 50 years to an incident. And by all indications, there's no other animal that has that clear of a memory or most animals don't live as long as humans. But he said, the subject of greatest immediate interest is long-term memory. We are essentially what he said we are essentially what we remember or can remember at some time in the future. Literally what we're standing on right now, the platform of consciousness that we stand on is what we remember. Like we don't know what's going to happen a minute from now. We, we cannot forecast that very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. And he said, people build memory by linking new images and concept to old ones in its size and the space it fills, the mind expands like a coral reef, adding new branches and cross ties out from the edge of those parts already established and anchored while its central body sets aside and coalesces. Point being, why would we tell a story that obviously we're saying is negative in some ways, but looking at it through any positive lens that we can pull from it? And it's like, we got to look back at our history to learn what we should do in the future. And, and it, it is my, or shouldn't do it. Well, that, that's my, mm-hmm. my biggest hope inside of all this is we talk about poaching and the culture around hunting 
and protection of wildlife, wild resources, is that this wouldn't happen again. Well, I mean, that, that we would just say, hey, don't part, – part of my driving inside of this is where are we driven by things we don't understand? And if I were back inside, if that happened today in the community I live in now, I would be like, wait a minute, I'm being endeared to a guy that maybe yeah, I shouldn't be or, or you know, however it played out and just like not to get caught in something. I think I think it's maybe important, you know, when this gets locked in the vault, nuclear fallout has happened. They dig out this episode to learn how to manage game species and not poach in the future mm. to talk about the North American model of wildlife. And that is to say that the game is a collectively owned thing that needs to be managed at a community level so that all people have access and opportunity, as opposed to previous models in which um, the aristocracy mm -hmm. would fence off their land, manage their game, and get to hunt, and the proletariat would be able to do nothing. And so the problem with poaching is to say, no, I know better. I know you're telling me this is what we need for the herd health, but I know better, and I'm going to take what I want. So when we distill it down, that's really the problem with poaching. Right. And, and that's the rub when you get into people like Charlie and Louisdale who are looking at the turkeys in their area and going like, we got more than enough. This is not a problem. I got this. Like, and if they perceive the game laws as uh -huh. someone fencing off saying you can't. Yeah, yeah. You can't absolutely. And that's part of the, that's, it's not true, but it's part of the problem. Absolutely. The, thing, it, yeah. the thing about this, the system that we have is it's not necessarily perfect, but it's the best system we've got. I've not seen a better system. Like, yeah, you can't kill as many turkeys as you used to be able to. But this is so that everyone can have an opportunity to kill a turkey right. or whatever. Hey, uh, I've got a question for y'all. If this were made into a movie, who would be the star player? Who would be the Tom Selleck or who would who, act? Who, who would for be the lead? Who, Tom, who, Tom Selleck would no, play no, you. No, 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 not play actor. you. Okay, I mean, who would be the who would be the, the protagonist? Lead? Who would be the main yeah, guy? Yeah. That, the is hero. it Louis Dale? Louis Dale. Louis Dale. I, I say it would be Russ. Oh, okay. That's who I say it would. I, you like know, it. I mean, I could go either way, but, seen the but movie really, Donnie Brasco. You know, that's what makes today. this story interesting: is the law enforcement chasing these guys. If you didn't have that, it's not a movie. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, you know, behind the scenes, you know, you're you're sitting it around the desk and you're going, okay, here's the, you know. Yeah. So, I really want to see Billy Bob Thornton in this movie. <laughs> I feel like he'd be a good fit. I'd I'd like Kevin Costner to play Russ. Ooh, it'd be good. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. And, I, I could be involved in the casting if they're interested. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, that um, is a bombshell. What did he and say? you know what every one of your favorite scenes is going to be? Is when they get caught when they're young. Yeah. And the game warden goes, hey, would you give me a ride back yeah. to my truck? And Louisville goes, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then they take off down that skid trail. That That brings me back to something I wanted to say about Russ earlier. One of the things that I loved about Russ. Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. Okay. Let me say one more thing. Yep. And that's why you're all hypocrites if you didn't like this, because that would be your favorite scene. Go ahead. <laughs> Russ, I, one, one reason that I loved him on a top level was that it validated the story. Yeah. When you go into this, it can be easy to be like, oh, yeah, it, like, every, all these stories get inflated or whatever over time because it's a community. Like, you want your community to have this thing. And then to go to this guy who hasn't listened to it, who hasn't been there, only spent a month there, and then, like, basically corroborates it overall. Yes. It corroborates the stories. But also, I feel like 
what I really liked was that he mitigates the stories in which like the beginning narrative is like, they never got caught. And then as you like parse it out, it's like, well, they got caught when they were young. Well, there was that one time that they, and then he's like, well, we had them on a few things, but it just really didn't warrant breaking cover or pro whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of these things together come together to paint a more organic picture of a human being as opposed to like a Robin Hood style legend or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was one thing that I really liked about Russ's. You know, it, even Russ's thing about um, he could have caught him, but they didn't. It's like they they didn't do it. Yep, I mean, they didn't so get the, caught. The, they still didn't. They didn't get caught. I mean, now in, in Brent's, I understand. Yes, they did get caught. They just didn't get prosecuted. They didn't get prosecuted. You know. They lost, is what you're saying. They yeah. didn't win the game. They did not win the game. Um, I don't think that would go down like that today. I think they would they would prosecute. It, I don't know the circumstances of that, but the mitigating factors that tell me that the reason they didn't because they were planning to do it again. They were going to send somebody else, or yeah, to get a, something yeah. bigger. Yeah, it wasn't like all right, well, they nah, won. just forget it. We're, let's go home. No, there was something else happened there. And that may have been the first one. Could have been. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there, were, there were multiple attempts. Yeah. But also, wouldn't you agree that there would kind of be a shelf life? Like, you can't just... Right. Like, eventually, you'd be like, okay, I wonder what guy is going to show up this year and wants <laughs> yeah. to go turkey out with me. Yeah, and that's hard, man. That is so. That is so hard. It's not... It's different than the drug culture because in the drug culture, they're either addicted to the money or they're addicted to the drugs. And one or the other is going to get them. It, it always does. This is a totally different drug, a totally different addiction of hmm. being able to sneak back into the house with a turkey before the season or or whatever. So it's that makes it twice or ten times as hard to catch somebody doing that because they while they feel the need because it's springtime and turkeys are gobbling they need to go kill one it's not going to physically keep them from functioning yeah. if, if they don't because they think the the, the police are getting close right I, we've had a i had an undercover operation one time where i sent a guy in with a wire and he walked up to the door and knocked on the door. And the guy comes to the door and he calls him by name. And he says, Bob, I know you're working for the police. And Bob, not his real name, pulls a $100 bill out of his pocket. And you can hear the guy say, but I see you got that money in your hand. And I'm going to sell it to you. <laughs> and <What>? he did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I know you're working for the police. But I see you got that money, so I'm going to sell it to you anyway. And he did, and he went to prison. Well, yeah, I wow. mean, I, I suppose that's another interesting wow. uh, factor that Russ brings up is there's no, like, commercial side to it. Like, Correct. there's no walking up to these guys and pulling out a $100 bill and saying, kill me a turkey. Right. Take me to kill a turkey. That makes it also harder. It has to be off of that personal connection. Sure. And we could have a whole podcast just talking to Brand about yeah. cover work. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's what man. that's what people are going to want. They're going to be, why were y'all talking about all that silly stuff when you could have talked to Brent about undercover? Tell us your best undercover story, Brent. I can't. Oh, you can't? Nope. What do you mean? I can't tell you about it. Why? Because it's happening right now. There's still. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there's still people working. Child protective services. Over um, there. Hey, did it surprise you that Russ was able to talk to me? No, huh? Something that had been adjudicated, and he's retired. 
So, I mean, it wasn't an ongoing operation. Okay. Plus, the those guys are, you know, passed away, so... Well, what I what I asked him is I as I said, why would because he got clearance from where he needed to get clearance before he talked to me, and they were like, pretty much whatever, right? And I and and I was trying to figure out how that would be good for the whole system, for the whole world to know that there are undercover agents out there that are working. Well, because it and and what his I'll tell you his response is he said Clay. He said, us talking about what happened 30 years ago is irrelevant to today. Yeah. Because he said the tactics that we used back exactly. then are not even in the same ballpark. Basically, he said, today, you've got to have a digital history. Like, if I come to you and say, my name's Bill Jones, I'm from Tennessee, I'm a bricklayer. Like, you got to have a Facebook account. Oh, yeah. You got That was have, not started yesterday. You, they could go to <laughs> Google. They can go to Google and How type I did in it Bill back Jones. then was a billfold. I had a billfold and it had receipts in it from a transmission place in my undercover name. I had an arrest record that if, like, if you had a friend that was in law enforcement, you say, hey, man, I met this guy, J. David Miller, and he's from wherever I was, wherever it, I said, I'm not going to say that, but wherever this guy's from. This is date of birth. Will you run him, see if he's legit? Or, and he may give that officer or that someone who had access to that information a totally false story. It's somebody but that they trusted, and they, they run a check on it. That check is going to come up that me, Brent Reeves, also known as J. David Miller, all it's going to say is J. David Miller, date of birth, address that's on there, and my criminal history. I had a fake criminal history on there of violence with the police, uh, resisting arrest <laughs> all that kind of stuff and that fake. i mean that's that was how fake they did record. it yeah but did now they just photocopy okay, your real one i've, I've no, said this before yeah. i've said this before yeah. i'll say it again i am still not entirely convinced that brent reeves <laughs> is not an undercover agent sent by whoever i don't even know who to come bust me because if if they make a podcast one day about my life, and it turns out he is undercover. It dealt, You're it'll going be down. Like, it'll be like, man, I called him and I played on his ego. Uh, <laughs> and uh, because Brent called me just out of the blue, yeah, I don't even know how he got my phone yeah. number. It was like, hey, man, I really like what you're doing. I'd like to come film for you. Really? I'm film for you? That's weird. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then he was how just, many years ago I see you that? got that camera, so I'm going to let you film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so, I, Brent's been, like, compiling video footage of yeah. me, try, waiting for me to break the law for yeah. all these years. And just, we're still waiting. You think three-part series is something. <laughs> it's going to be how, like the last but no, dance. But how Tim. great would it be yeah. to be a double, double agent? Yeah. Like, what if Russ Arthur had come in and been like, man, Louisdale, I used to work for the government. <clears throat> I used to be an undercover agent. <laughs> <laughs> Louisdale would have been like, get in the truck, brother. I trust you. Let's go. Uh, revisiting a podcast series from a yesteryear was Wilson Rawls, an undercover agent. <laughs> oh, he might have been. Like, oh, and he just never surfaced, and he just went I'm to just handler. Saying, no his handler. His handler died. Saying. Hey, I had a guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess I have to read it. Write a young adult novel now. <laughs> his handler died. Mm. Construct a nuclear power plant. Um. Okay. So I, I feel like we're we we've given some justice to the series. 
uh, this, I would like to go around and like what was the most. If you don't, if you choose not to have, a, there's some of us that may choose not to have a favorite part because they don't want to have anything to do with this because they're that good of people. <laughs> well, I feel um, self-conscious with Brent sitting here no, now. So you no, can say no, the most interesting part. Yeah. So no. we'll say, what was the most interesting story in all the series? Josh. I, I think you got to go with with Russ. I mean, just listening to his interactions with Louis Dale and just the covert nature of it. I mean, it's that's... Hey, did you like the intro how... I had Andy tell the uh-huh. story, uh-huh. and then I had him out. Who yeah. did you like that? Yeah, I also I also thought what Daniel <laughs> talked about. Yeah. Ego. Playing to his ego. Ego. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought what Daniel talked about was was very we interesting. We didn't even talk to, about what Daniel talked about. Uh, yeah, he it was very interesting. Hair. I uh, you know I in in his conversation I thought you know people always want some someone to blame too for my law for my freedoms being taken away and all that kind of stuff which which always fuels fuels the outlaw nature so yeah i thought that was really really interesting but the whole, the whole part with russ listening to that was just cool man i can't wait to, to for y'all to hear some more of russ's stories i can't even tell you the punchlines to them because there there's two of them that are pretty incredible so russ Go around this way. Okay, Misty wants to go last. What What was your Misty? I'm not ready. <laughs> Isaac, what was your hey, hey, most I'll interesting you, part? It turkey calls. Next, Russ Arthur turkey calling. Yeah, him calling. Yeah, that's all these. Well, I'm really just kidding. I mean, I like the whole thing. I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, I, I'm with Josh on his part. Validated it. Made it really special. Um. Uh, no one of them made it special, but uh, I mean, just um, just the whole thing was high quality. You know, yeah. I just I, I enjoyed every bit of it, and uh, you know, Doctor Dan's take was interesting. But I think you've created a scenario where you could actually make a movie out of this thing, like you could many lives. This guy right here, probably, we need a movie out of him. Brent but, will be the guy. They'll make. A, they'll have a podcast scene at the end of the movie, and Brent will be on there. And, and the end of it will just be him just nursing Waylon back to help <laughs> every <laughs> week. That's, that's what I do every week. And, and you know, it's just it, it was just. Amber did any of those stories me. surprise you? Like, because I would not have known the specifics of the of the fighting stories and all that. And I know you're usually kind of intrigued by that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I didn't know that stuff. And uh, him getting his rifle when he was in on that sky lift down in Texas, putting the ceilings in probably at Walmart, you know, yeah, that I kind of enjoy that. I mean, it's entertaining. I I don't condone that stuff, but man, I love a good fist fight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you, you know, I, I'll uh, I'll walk a long ways to see two kids fight. <laughs> not really, not kids, but uh, roosters. Oh man, yeah, that's our nature. I mean, you you can say whatever you want, but I mean, anything unusual, out of the ordinary, we're attracted to it. Sure. Yeah. I thought it was a heady play of Daniel to uh, bring up Marx because you can't be like, that's not what he wrote because then you read Marx and then you're a communist. <laughs> Obviously. You can't yeah. fact check him. Right. It's true. I always knew Daniel was a communist. He's a communist. <laughs> uh, I think the f- most interesting thing for me was the context of their history moonshining, 
which mm. I think is important to talk about because on on our side, like moonshining has always been viewed as an illegal or illicit activity, but it started as just a way to get our crop out of the hauler. Like, how many wagon loads am I going to have to take of this corn out? But if I distill it into whiskey, I can take it out in one load, right? And that evolves into, you can't do this anymore, evolves into a circumstance where one of their uncles gets murdered, one of their whatever, we don't really know. This is not to excuse their behavior, you know, 50 years of poaching turkeys from there, but it helps contextualize it from me that it wasn't just like a group of guys waking up one day going, you know what? I think I'm going to go kill all the turkeys. Yeah. I think that history and like to have the newspaper articles to like, to know that this is such a part of the identity of the family. Yeah. And that, that I think makes, makes it so interesting. And, And I think that's part of why, I wanted to tell the story is that people don't just pop out of the box and act the way they act because they decided to. Most people have a long and robust history that led them to a certain place. And inside of saying that, I also say that we have the ability to change that. Like we're not muzzled by the narrative of our past. But it's interesting. But you, but to not be muzzled by it, you have to be aware of its sure. driving force. Right. I don't know if it's Brent that said it or somebody else that said it. That uh, no, it was somebody else. Somebody else, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, messaged me, and uh, he said, "No, nah, I'm not endeared to these guys." He said, "I'm endeared to people that have a bad history and wake up and do something different than their forefathers did." <laughs> it was a great comment. Yeah. I one thousand percent am like, "Yep." I mean, that's like all we ever talk about on this podcast is people that do something different. Do you remember when we talked about Roy Clark, who, yeah. whose family they were they were they're big into alcohol, mm-hmm. and he just was like, he went "I didn't want to be that way." Yeah. and we were like, "That is good. That's yeah. what we're talking about." So, you know, it, it, we're not trying to encourage people to be to 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 be dominated by their past, but. To not be dominated by your past, you gotta have you gotta be able to see it and understand it and to see the track. And so I thought that was really interesting, very interesting. Brent, I have Brent's s- like nothing was interesting. <laughs> <to> me. <laughs> no, that's not true. I thought there was a lot of interesting parts. The um, Russ talking about the operation because I I just when he was talking about it, I was seeing it in my head. That's exactly you know he was verbatim exactly how it happened. I know. The stories, I've spent the better part of 31 years living and chasing folks that were, you know, on the other side of the law. So it it wasn't as intriguing to me as it was, I'm sure, a lot of people, because anytime I get around another person that I've worked with over the past, old war stories always come up, you know. Yeah. And I've seen a million people like that. Yeah. A million people. And and I've said it before, you know, the, the in my career, I, everywhere I went, I was seeing more than likely good people on their worst day. And it's, I know these guys were good people. And I know that what they were doing was not amassed up there with who we've mentioned, mm. Bonnie and Clyde and those kind of folks up there. But I've seen a jillion folks make poor decisions. And so it, and I say all that to say I wasn't endearing, endeared to them in any way. 
I was intrigued by their story because it's just one of a million that I've heard that's very similar. And they were authentic people, no doubt about that. And you got to, I got to give them props for that, for being who they were. I think that's been brought up a couple of times. Yeah. But I do, I also think about, you know, Jimmy Martin's viewpoint on it and his supervisor, whoever he was, and the, the things that they were up against and probably the ridicule that they probably got, you know, behind closed doors or when he got up and he walked out of the coffee shop that, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't catch those two guys. Well, if that's all they had to do, they'd probably come a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I took out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to, I think the most interesting part of this is some of the responses we've heard from people in response to you doing this podcast. And so I feel as your wife, like I need to summarize a little bit what we've, what we've gained from, uh, and, and help, help people. Clay Newcomb is not a poacher. He does not glorify poaching. He doesn't like poaching. And in fact, I think you're one of the most upright people. I mean, really that I've ever met in terms of like ethical right and wrong, you know, very clear rights or wrongs. I'm not talking to Brent. Brent knows this too. <laughs> Brent knows he, right. Uh, you know that. I mean, absolutely. And Brent's we, been documenting that for a decade. <laughs> <on camera>. <laughs> Wasting <laughs> his life. I said that. I said that. I said this very same thing. First, first time. Or first time around. But I, I think what, what, you were just trying to understand, like your whole podcast is just trying to answer questions because you yourself felt conflicted because there's things about these guys that you see as ex- unambiguously wrong. Yeah. And yet you were endeared to them and the whole community around you was, and you're just trying to answer the question, yeah. why? Yeah. And part of that answer came through looking at them, not through the lens as poachers, but looking at this dynamic of outlaws. And the outlaw yeah. archetype and trying yeah. to understand why are we culturally drawn to that? Not every culture is drawn to the outlaw right. archetype. And that's interesting to yes. us. And that's an interesting dynamic. And that Russ pointed it out as, as a Southern phenomenon. That's interesting to us because we look at a lot of rural Southern types of people. I, I mean, even like the little book you just read about Elijah, I thought, how interesting. I mean, that that is written by a theologian and he's kind of describing the types of people that that you you find interesting mm-hmm. a long long time ago yeah and and you're just trying to answer those questions and we're real comfortable living with that those questions and asking those questions and we yeah. don't by by saying why we're not we're not shifting our views on morality here yes we're not that's not up for grabs we're not shifting no one in this room is we we believe in morality we believe in right and wrong we're not glorifying wrong we're trying to understand why do we cheer for that guy in the movie why do we find them endearing in the community? What attributes make this guy endearing, but other bad guys not endearing? What yeah. makes it interesting? That's all we're trying to do. Yeah. Just Have you been getting some of that? Like, you, you guys are condoning poaching? Very little. You know, because if you are, they're not listening. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Now, I would, say, I would say the vast majority of the commentary I've gotten has been positive. But for sure, a few, a few people have just outright been like, Da, 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 da. And, and, you know, that's okay. It, the way I look at it is if you, I mean, it's the truth. If you, if everybody likes what you're doing, you're probably doing something wrong. You, you know, one thing I've noticed is that uh, we use that word outlaw 
it's a marketing tool. You know, you've created a heading there that people look at it and go, man, I'm going to listen to this. We never viewed those guys as outlaws. I mean, you know, they were just mm-hmm. people in the community. <laughs> They're doing it was what socially, they do. It wasn't really socially accepted, but, you know, half the guys I knew in that town, I mean, they're going to shoot a deer out of season. They're going to shoot an extra turkey or two. You know, it's just, it's not like some major crime like we've just read or seen on TV where a guy DWI is driving down a highway, you know, and he gets picked up. Well, he could have killed your kids. You got a neighbor down here that's a drunk and he's, you know, you got kid. you know. So it's not like death-defying outlaws here. Right. You know, they're uh, they're breaking the law, so they are outlaws. But uh, it's socially not criticized as bad. I mean, we never just sit around and go, man, these are terrible people. I mean, we didn't even talk about it. You know, yeah. you just knew that they were killing turkeys. Yeah. It wasn't like um, they were robbing 7-Elevens or, you know, shooting up the neighborhood, dealing in drugs. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, uh, well, I love telling a story that's not really been told, you know, in a big way. And, uh, so I, I'd tell stories, I'd tell stories like this every week if we could, you know, I mean, not, not, not breaking the law stories, but stories that are hidden kind Mm -hmm. of behind the scenes of, of, unique stuff happening in just like you know common common little places you know and so uh it was it was a lot of fun and i think andy brown deserves some form of award hey i mean if if i could have a co-host on the bear grease <laughs> podcast It'd be Andy Brown. <laughs> he is a great storyteller. He's a great man. storyteller. I love his, his laugh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Andy uh Andy uh he has the most contagious laugh. I when the story that that I put in there of him telling about the squirrel uh jumping out onto and yeah. it just so happened the other insurance agent he was with was named Charlie. So that story if you didn't really listen it could have been confusing. You might have thought the squirrel jumped on Charlie Edwards. The squirrel jumped on Charlie, the insurance agent. I've sat in this chair in this office at night <laughs> when I was working on that podcast and would just belly laugh out loud <laughs> listening to Andy tell that story. Yeah. But no, Andy made the podcast, man. It, you know, it wasn't necessarily his stories. It was him laughing. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you just get Very caught infectious. up in the moment. I, I did the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's so just fickle. Laugh. Oh, man. You know what? I learned so much by talking to all these different people. Like, uh, yeah, Andy's just, yeah, he, that's just the way he, He's always like that, and he's just always, uh, always. As somebody told me the other day, he's always happy, always laughing, you know. But yeah, Andy Brown, I he'll be he'd be my co-host of the Burgers Podcast. He'd uh, make a good one. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple people come up that I've known for years. I've actually hunted with a couple of these guys. <clears throat> and go turkey violation. You know, I killed fifteen turkeys for a season one time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like angling you know, they, at a podcast. They didn't talk about. It. Yeah, yeah. They, they just don't walk in the big restaurant in Mina and pull out a wad of turkey beards. And I mean, you know, th- those guys would kill them and go home. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and and 
Charlie and Louisdale, man. Oh, they're they're entertainers, man. Yeah. So you did a good job, Clay. I have to say. It. Well, that, I that appreciate it. He just had to say it. Yeah. I agree. Well, it's fun. I think I think there's I think as we move more into where, whatever direction the world's going these stories like this are are meaningful in some ways they they give us like markers for something and and uh so yeah i don't know why but i i like i like these kind of i like a good story gary you got a story about black panthers i do you know <laughs> you, you guys are not going to believe this but i'm telling this You're right <laughs> I, I, I swear i nice swear caveat. <laughs> nice caveat <laughs> i mean <laughs> I walked out of the garage the other night, <laughs> and a black panther was in my yard and jumped into the shrubs. And you want to know why I know it's a black panther? It was young, you know. It was a baby. Yeah. So you know, there's got to be. Kid. I mean, I swear I saw it. Black panther jumped into the shrub. So you know, there's got to be keep a mom and a dad. Yeah. A well, that's breeding, it. There's a about breeding population. Pounds. About five pounds. Yeah, about. Probably less, little did less. It, did did you it run through the kitty door of your neighbor's house? And I don't go know, in? but it had the long tail, just like we talk about. Yeah. It just was young. You I suggest you know, it was a house cat. I thought it was a black panther. <laughs> I think I Gary. Like I think Gary is taking possession of yeah. old great uncle's steel. Yeah. yeah, maybe so. I think he's moved the baseline. Uh, he's saying <laughs> not only do they exist, there is a breeding population in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take that, Myron Means. Gary needs to have a, have, a, have a biological conference about the breeding population <laughs> yeah. outline, Black Panthers in Western Arkansas. Pretty soon we're going to have calico well, outlines. Hey, yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Everybody. Really great. Keep the wild places wild. That's where, the, <laughs> that's where the black panthers live. That's where the, <laughs> that's where the poaching takes place. Keep the domestic places domesticated because that's where the black panthers are. That's where the poaching oh, takes place. That's a good one. Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Here's a simple but meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. A digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pictures of all the things that they can't be there for, from family vacation to their grandkids' graduation. My parents are always asking for sports photos of my son who plays basketball. That A lot of the games, they aren't able to make it. It comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame, so you can upload as many photos as you want, and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. I have an Aura frame, and so does Juju, my mom, and they love it. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BEAR. 
That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code BEAR. Terms and conditions apply.